Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com and brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. I'm Sabrina, and I am recording today with Vicki and also with Kim. Yay! Yay! We've got our little <laughs> remote recording thing going on, and we just get so tickled because when we when we all talk, it makes little squiggly lines on the computer screen, and we can like watch the little sound waves from our voices, and it's really fun when we all laugh at the same time. The squiggles are just beautiful. <laughs> it's very distracting, actually. It is. <laughs> yeah, like, look at that big squiggle there. <laughs> we can we can be a bit easily distracted, the three of us, but that's kind of what makes us fun. And yeah. we're not at all easily amused either. <laughs> no, not even a little bit, and certainly not by things that are mom funny. Never, oh, never. Yeah, Oh my, distraction, distraction, distraction. There's a lot of distraction when we live Mm. in the world, right? All those people, all those things going on, so many issues, and we're trying to educate our kids in the midst of it. And so that's what today's episode is going to be about. It's going to be about recognizing that all the things that might distract and derail our education, if we're thinking about them one way, might actually be the things that enrich and make the most of our kids' education if we look at them another way. That was a great segue, Sabrina. Well, that I, I admire that. Thank yeah. you. Every once in a while, I pull I pull one out of out of my head, and it, it actually works. You bet. So yeah, so um, we have a blog post at sevensistershomeschool.com that has gotten a fair amount of traffic over time, and it's uh, specifically looking at titles in American literature that raise uncomfortable topics. But there are lots of things in um, high school education that raise uncomfortable topics, many things in history, in um, psychology or sociology, and all sorts of electives that we might study, and certainly in books that we are reading for English language arts that can raise topics that are very uncomfortable for our teens. We also have to recognize that simply living in the world we live in and ever having any idea of what might be happening outside our front door can also raise topics that are uncomfortable. And these things can feel like um, paralyzing moments for us as homeschoolers or as educators. And we want to uh, give you some tips today for turning those what could be paralyzing moments into moments that are hugely beneficial to your kids in their education that will also be beneficial to you as humans existing together on the planet in relationship. Um, There's a lot of room for growth for all of us when we become uncomfortable. So let's talk a little bit about uncomfortable topics. Oh, there's been a lot of those lately. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, uncomfortable things are certainly in the news, but you cannot escape the uncomfortable things in literature and American literature being so diverse um, brings up a lot of uncomfortable questions and teens are great at asking them. So I, I, one of the things I've always really appreciated about this blog post, uh, and we'll put the links in the show notes, is that it is so balanced and actually it helps students and moms turn the uncomfortable thing into a healthy way to grow. Hmm. So jump in there, Sabrina. Okay. I worried because I did the intro, you know, and I don't want to be all bossy and hogging the whole podcast, but this is a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. And, um, 
And I am the author of the American Literature Curriculum that is available at sevensistershomeschool.com. And I'm in the process of working on more titles by American authors to eventually expand uh, that category. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Yes. Um, so one of the things that is remarkable about teens is when they encounter an uncomfortable topic in a piece of literature, for the most part, they are incapable of ignoring it. As adults, sometimes we've gotten good at ignoring an elephant in the room, mm-hmm. but most teens haven't developed that skill yet. Yeah. And so um, for this is not an American lit title, but for example, when we read The Good Earth in our world lit class, um, there there's some really difficult stuff to talk about there when we are looking at um, at this family who are living in such tremendous poverty. And when a flood comes and it washes away what little bit of crop they had in the field and they go to the city and they try to find a way to feed their, their children and the compromises that they make morally and the death of one of the children. And it's, it's tough topics and it's also beautifully written and so rich. Um, So it's worth the read. It's not, it's not glorifying the ugliness, but it's, it's looking at it and then seeing what we can learn from it. And where some adults might read it and say, ooh, I didn't like that chapter, and then just move on. The teenagers go, okay, wait a minute. Are you telling yes. me that? Like, they just call it. Yeah. And that is beautiful. We need to not shy away from that. First of all, that mm. moment of confrontation. Um, we need to encourage our kids to ask those hard questions and to not shy away. All right, Sabrina, can I just jump in there? Okay, so this is a little bit, I, I, I would love for you to just cover the whole blog post, but I want to introduce it with how you handled the situation of teens asking those tough questions. Because, you know, all of us together have taught in the, the our local homeschool co-ops and our group classes. And I know for years and years and years when I was actually on the campus, um, I would walk past Sabrina's American Lit class and she made it okay for those teens to say, I didn't like that. Why did they put that in the book? And, you know, they would just ask these angry questions to Sabrina and Sabrina would be sitting comfortably in her chair, looking relaxed and allowing this conversation to happen. And those teens grew so much. I know I, Mike, I had kids in those classes, so I yeah. know, you know, they grew from that. So how did you manage you having the teach, you know, like throwing these things at you? Right. Okay. Well, so part of it comes down to um, practicing your nonverbals and yeah. <laughs> learning okay. a little tiny bit of acting skills where you just say inside your head, I will not freak out. I will will not not freak freak out. out. I will will not not freak out. out. You keep a slight smile on your face. You Mm -hmm. sit in a relaxed posture. And before you respond, you take a deep breath. Never Mm -hmm. underestimate the power of a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Um, And you take a deep breath. And the first thing you do is you validate validate that kid for having Mm -hmm. the courage to speak to that issue. Because it Mm -hmm. is an uncomfortable topic. And so Mm -hmm. good for them. Mm -hmm. And so you say, that's a really hard part in the book, isn't it? And I am really glad that you brought it up. Um, how did you feel about it when you first read it? Or uh, it, some, some kids need to be drawn out. Some kids need to be slowed down a little bit because <laughs> they'll take over, you know, and run a million miles. Um, but first thing is let them know that it's good, that they're looking at it and that they're uncomfortable with it. And then the second thing I would do is I would enter into that situation with them and say, to be perfectly honest, that's a really hard passage for me to read too. 
I don't like thinking about that. I don't like thinking about it because that's not the way my life has looked. I would never want to have to live through a situation like that. It doesn't seem, you know, whatever the thing is, it doesn't seem fair that the world works that way. Um, and so you do that and it's amazing how quickly the, any hostility that went along with it vanishes. A lot of times hostility presents in teenagers because they're afraid that they're going to be shut down or shut up immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they will first present their discomfort as if they're angry at you. And if you enter yes. into that discomfort with them and say, I'm really uncomfortable with it too. Let's see what we can learn from it. Then they go, oh, she's on my side. She's not standing in my way. Um, yeah. And the first one step. of the things, yeah, I noticed that because really I admired watching te- uh, Sabrina teach is she never rushed into correcting the kids on their viewpoints. You know, and for us moms, at, at least for me, one of the things I really had to watch myself when my kids would ask these tough literature questions is I wanted to tell them the right way to think immediately. Mm. You know, like it feels I, safer, doesn't it? <laughs> it's if I can just blast my emotions out and tell them what to do, then I can walk off having corrected my teens. But in their hearts, they would have felt unheard and unvalued. And so what Sabrina did is create that space for the teens to say what they were thinking and to agree on, yeah, this was tough. I didn't like it either. So they had some common ground and they felt respected. And that made room for a growth-oriented discussion. So then once we had laid that groundwork, what we did is we took it the next step and we tried to afford the same respect to the characters in the story. So in the same way that the student said, I'm uncomfortable with this. And I said, that is really hard, isn't it? Actually, I'm uncomfortable right there with you. The next step is to say, so when this character was in this situation, what do you think was going through their mind as they were evaluating options? Like what were the options really put yourself in his shoes, put yourself in her position. What options do you have in front of you? And then you sit and bite your tongue. Because in most cases, you already have a pretty good handle on what the options were because you've got life experience that the kids don't have. Um, But a lot of times for teens, things are uncomfortable because there is an obvious, it should be this way. Mm -hmm. And when you ask them to step into another person's experience and try to imagine, they, they at least see that it's nowhere near as simple as that, even if that would have been the best outcome. And so it doesn't mean that they agree with the choices the characters make, but they have climbed into that character's shoes and seen what that character felt were options and learned something about understanding people and context, which actually becomes a human skill that they can evaluate situations through grace and perspective taking. And that's a good life adulting kind of skill. Right. Yeah. And it's, it ties to such direct literary elements too. I mean, kids need to learn about motivation when they're studying characters. That's, Mm -hmm. that's going to show up on the SATs, you know, they they need to understand perspective and they need to understand setting and context. Um, But they also like, like Vicki's saying, they need this in their interpersonal relationships for the rest of their life. And so when you start with a fictional character and it's a situation that is very, very foreign to them, 
and maybe is making them really uncomfortable, but it feels like it's at a distance. It's removed because it's in this book, but they practice those skills of trying to walk a mile in that person's shoes. Um, it oddly enough will actually show up the next time there is a much smaller, much closer to home situation of conflict with someone. And they will have been practicing with their literature work and you'll, you'll find it being a blessing to them in real life too. And to me, that's the whole point of studying literature. I mean, I love to read and I love to write, but I don't really escape into books. That's not my style. And that's, I'm not saying it's wrong for people who do. I know lots of people who just lose themselves in a good book. That's not me. When I'm reading a book, I'm constantly in a mindset of how is this going to affect me as a human being going forward? Mm. And so I like to encourage that in teenagers. And I've seen a lot of teens respond very well to that, especially those who are not natural bookworms, oddly enough. Sabrina, there's something, oh, there's something else that you mentioned in, in, in all this, in early on in your in this description of what you do with the kids, is you just kind of sit with it a little bit, and mm. that's one thing that um, that I have been hearing and seeing and learning and practicing in my own life recently a lot, is there's a lot of things that are going on around us now that, you know, regardless of of our perspective on things or or what have you that are uncomfortable. And so, so it can be really hard to just learn to just be uncomfortable. Um, mm. And yet sometimes that's like, that's where that tension is. And sometimes that's where there, our greatest learning is. And even if all we're doing is learning that, wow, somebody else that, that I know or that I might experience in my life deals with discomfort even way more than I do. And they've had to learn to do this all the time. Wow, this is very, uh, you know, this is a, a, a big, powerful lesson that's not a lesson at all at the same time, if that makes sense. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. That's it, it, you know, it's funny, there is, um, I think there's a big piece of my teaching literature style, and it, and it shows up in the way I've written the guides for the curriculum in the store, too. I don't know that I thought about it so much until this conversation, ladies, but hmm. there's a... <laughs> There's a big piece of my background in theater and my love for acting and drama that shows up in the way I teach literature, because if good stories are being told, they involve interesting and complex characters. And um, the actress piece of me likes the idea of temporarily entering into some other person's world and story. And how would I tell their story well? You know, and I think that when we when we read uncomfortable things with teens in particular, it's really good to actually ask them to go back to being kids and, and pretend and imagine and sit for a minute with that. Play it out in your mind. You're bringing this person's story to life. You're trying to portray that. What's going through your mind? What how is that showing up in how you feel physically? How is it affecting the way you get out of bed in the morning? You know, what does that actually look and feel like if you're, if you're there? So, yeah, I think there's a big piece of, of entering into it and sitting with it and letting it be uncomfortable that can be truly life-changing and certainly can stir a lot of growth. If nothing else, it breaks teens loose from the often um, self-centered a little bit existence where they tend to think that um, how they're feeling and what their life is like is is the sort of the center of things. And um, 
Yeah. I don't mean that in like the selfish way, but I mean, teens are very, very, very self. They're egocentric. There's the word. Thank you, counselor lady. Egocentric. Taken from human development course. Oh, Oh, yeah. It's also available at (laughs) sevensistershomeschool.com in the elective section. That's right. One of my favorites. (laughs) <laughs> Another thing is I stalked Sabrina teaching the kids. I mean, honest to goodness, it was a work of art. So anyway. Am I the only one who's getting a little creeped out by this whole stalking thing? I'm, I, I'm I really did. Well, <laughs> it, was, it was my job for years during classes to roam the hallways. And so I, I had favorite teachers. I would just sit outside the door and just watch them. <laughs> okay. They were really awesome. And there were ones that, you know, were a little more, you know, scientific and, and I could only watch for a little while because my brain would, you know, <laughs> so anyway, um, but one of the things I noticed is you, you gave your students time to, to say their feelings and to identify with the characters your perspective take. But one of the things you did, and it was not preachy, it wasn't cheesy. And I don't know how you pulled it off so well. So maybe give some tips. I'm sorry. Hang on one second. This is really good. And there's a lot of background noise that we're going to have to edit out. Yes. Uh, you so, know what? This, this I'm real sorry, life. honey. I, I know. Right. We, we live in real houses. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Seth can leave it in there and or right. he can put it in the outtake. So anyway. Um, so, but anyway, without being cheesy or preachy, Sabrina would follow up with the question, how would Jesus have handled this character or related to this situation and and you know introduced a way of looking not in a preachy way but in a christ-like way you know how how would this be a different situation with him you know right there intervening i'm, I'm not saying this right but sabrina you got any <laughs> yeah um i mean it... It's, it's it, kids at that age often, if, if they've been raised in the church, they often have a lot of um, Jesus Bible stories running in their heads mm-hmm. and they haven't necessarily mm-hmm. crossed over that line to considering the, the character of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you then ask them, okay, wait, wait, wait. So we know how the people in this, in this scene, in the story are interacting with one another. How about like Jesus shows up? what do you think he's likely to do? What do you think he's likely to not do? Whose side do you think he's on? Is he on anybody's side? And like those kind of questions, um, they respond really well. And it, and it, it, you can see them go, I never in a million years would have thought to ask myself that question. And now that you've asked it, I can't get it out of my head, which is cool. You know, it's, it's like an actual paradigm shift for teenagers. Yeah, there was another great question that you always ask kids in times like these, and I cannot remember the question at the moment, but it was really good. Yeah, yeah. But I guess the point point is that asking questions and saying, what do you think and why do you think that can be way more educational for us and our kids than telling them what to think or what we we think or what they should think. And a lot of times they will then turn around and ask us, what do we think and why? If we ask Almost them. always. Almost always. Yeah. And yet if we start, by t- you know, it's funny that that's why when I, when I was in high school, um, I, I got ready to go into college and I was going to be an English major and, and I had taken all these, you know, honors English courses in high school and always loved to read and loved to write and blah, blah, blah. By the time I got through my freshman year of college, I wanted to never read another book or another class again because for years people have been telling me what to get out of the books that I was reading. 
and I was tired of it. Yes. I was like, I don't want to get out of this what you're telling me I should. I want to think about it. Mm -hmm. And that has kind of been my absolute bedrock principle in teaching lit from the time I started um, as a homeschooler is to say, you need to read this with your brain and your spirit turned on. That's it. That, and, it wasn't a question. It was that phrase. Go ahead. Oh, oh good. Yeah. I came up with the phrase. Hooray. Yeah. That's read it. it with your brain and your spirit turned on. Okay. I picked mm-hmm. this book because it's going to be a challenge for you. You're going to learn new vocabulary. You're going to observe sentence and paragraph structure. That is not what you've um, encountered to date. You're going to deal with complex themes and complex characters. That's going to stretch your brain. That's wonderful. But also read with your spirit turned on and see what you can learn about this story that will impact your life, that will impact you as a person. And so if you read this story and you come away from it with something entirely different than I have ever thought of in the many times that I've read it, I'm not going to tell you that that was wrong or that you missed the point. I'm going to say, wow, you just taught me something. Mm. I never thought about it that way. But you bring yourself to the story. You, You and the author meet together in that space where his characters and his story take place. And that intersection of the reader and the author and the characters in the story, there's just amazing growth that can happen there. And it it does really come from not telling them what to get out of it. And if you, if, if (laughs) one of my favorite moments is when we would read something and go to discuss it and I would say, so what did you guys think about this? And the answer I would get was, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. You know, and that it's so tempting at that moment to say, Okay, well, you know, this and this and this. And and if instead you say, what is it that's confusing about it? Like, why do you feel like you didn't get anything out of it? I mean, you know stuff that happened, right? You comprehended that this and this happened. Well, yeah. Okay, so what happened? Let's start with comprehension. Well, okay, he, you know, he went down to the dock and he talked to the to the captain of the ship. Okay, so why was that chapter in there? Why did the author want us to know about that? Well, I don't know. Well, did anything change as a result of that? Oh, well, he, and you start them down this path, but you don't tell them the destination. And it's okay to ask leading questions if what you're leading them to do is to think about what they've read, which is different from trying to lead them to the pat answer that you want them to recite back to you. Oh man, I'm preaching Mm -hmm. now. Sorry. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's kind of crazy too, because the way that you teach kids literature it's such a great parallel to how we mature as readers of the Bible. Oh, where are you going with that? Keep going. Uh, just, just exactly what you were saying. Like that, that, and you know, we can read it, but there's, there's not some right answer that we're supposed to get. And when we're younger, maybe we are reading the Bible for stories and we are coming up with right answers. You know, who did Jesus you know, run into on the, on the road and what did he say to him? And, you know, those kinds of things. But then it, it becomes a whole different thing where we could read the same passage of scripture 10 different times and we're in different places in our lives and, oh. and different things are going on around us. And it may have completely different meaning, or we might see something that we've never seen before. If we read that passage and the three of us discuss it together. And one of you says something and I'm like, oh, wow, I never saw that. I never thought of that. Um, so you're also kind of, you're, you're not only just teaching literature, you're, 
you're teaching a way to think and interact that can also inform your faith and vice versa. That's so cool. And let's face it, there's some stuff in the Bible that makes us uncomfortable, right? Oh my, yeah. You, yes. <laughs> if there's reading. not, then you're not reading very carefully. <laughs> All right. So, so, you know, we have now spent, you know, like 20 minutes saying how wonderful Sabrina's teaching is. <laughs> and we are absolutely right. But unfortunately, Sabrina cannot be in, you know, thousands of homeschool homes uh, all over the nation and world. So we have at sevensistershomeschool.com supplied Sabrina in paper That's form. Right. In <laughs> In, in our literature guide. Yeah. So Sabrina, just like take a shameless plug and explain what makes Seven Sisters American Lit Guides and all of our guides unique. Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Vicki. Um, so <laughs> what makes our literature guides unique is, first of all, no busy work. Um, high school mm -hmm. readers should not be hammered over the head with 100 comprehension questions. They, they mastered reading comprehension in elementary and the early years of middle school, unless they actually have like reading disabilities or serious, you know, vision challenges, visual processing, uh, language processing issues. But if, if they are, are basically solid on, on grade level readers, then by high school, they're comprehending. They know who did it, what happened, when it happened, where it happened, but they need to be encouraged to think about what they're reading and understand why it happened how it happened and how it might have happened differently. Um, what are the possible outcomes for something that is left unstated in the story? Those, those kinds of things. And they need to learn to pull out themes and to see the, the growth and the progress of um, characters and communities and, and all those kinds of things. And so those, those types of questions are what our literature guides are based on. They're, they're built um, to encourage critical thinking and inferential reading skills and to help teens move beyond the stuff that makes them roll their eyes and go, uh, busy work. And instead to engage with the ideas. So in other words, the guides ask the questions that spur the conversations that teens can have with mom or just with the study guide. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes teens want to just wrestle those things out Probably. with them and their own study guide. Yeah. yeah. And then they move on to um, ask them to articulate what they've been thinking about those ideas and what they've explored. And so there are writing prompts. It's not writing instruction. It's not how to write an essay or how to write a personal response paper. But it's a, a prompt saying, so if you are going to write an essay about this, I'm going to suggest this as your thesis statement. Or pick one of these three that are all... Um, pointing in different directions, but pick the one that resonates with you the most and then write a five paragraph essay exploring this idea because we learn something to a point when we hear it and um, we learn it more when we hear it and then think about it, but we learn it best when we hear it and we think about it and then we have to explain it to someone else. Oh, and so yeah. that articulation <laughs> process um, that, that we ask them to do in writing or for kids who are writing challenged or who are working at a, at a lower level, because like all of our curriculum, the guides are easily adaptable for use at an average or a college prep or an honors level. And so if you have a kid for whom writing is really a struggle, but you really want them doing the, the thinking work, then you can have them orally articulate their thoughts on this piece and not necessarily yes. write the five paragraph essay. So you have paper Sabrina on multiple <laughs> American <laughs> world and British lit books. Better yet, we could call her Ebrina. 
Ebrina. Oh my goodness. I love it. Kim does it again. <laughs> you can find Ebrina in the ebook store at sevensistershomeschool.com. Yes, indeed. PDF format, that's me. <laughs> Oh, wow. How do we wrap this one up? Somebody else has to. I, I think there's no <laughs> way to do any more than that. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so I guess, I guess the point of this whole podcast is don't be afraid and don't shy away from mm -hmm. your kids' questions about uncomfortable topics when they study literature. Um, and at the same time that you're not shying away from it, don't try to quickly give them the correct answer either. Um, let them wrestle their way through the process because that's where the real growth comes. And they will so often end up asking you, what do you think? If you've encouraged them to articulate what they think first, makes it a safe space and it builds that brain muscle stuff that's gonna help them in real life relationships for the rest of their lives. Amen, yeah. indeed. Anything to add ladies or shall we close it out? Take her home. I think we should close it. All right. Well, we are delighted that you spent this uncomfortable topic time with us this morning. <laughs> and we hope that you will uh, engage in conversation about all things Homeschool High School on the podcast pages here at the Homeschool High School podcast or over on blog posts at sevensistershomeschool.com or check us out on social media. We have a Seven Sisters Homeschool Facebook page and a Facebook group that is growing and chatting all the time. We have Instagram. We have Pinterest, we have Twitter, and I think that's all of our social media, right, at this point, because social media yeah, gets a little yeah. overwhelming when you move beyond that many platforms. Yeah. But we want to find, yes. we want you to find us there because we want to hear from you. We want you to be our seventh sister and to enter into the conversation. We all do well when we learn from one another's homeschooling experiences. We also hope that you will join us again on future episodes of the Homeschool High School Podcast from sevensistershomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. Mm -hmm.